nicely with the uh, topic we're discussing today, which is simply belief. All right? Faith and belief. We had uh, Friday night, too, a really nice Good Friday service, a community Good Friday service over at the Methodist Church. Uh, we joined the Methodist Church and the Church of Christ here in town. We had a community service, very well attended, some great music, a lot of scripture. Uh, and uh, the, uh, Pastor Gene, he assigned me those readings um, and they were kind of long, uh, but you know, it was a Good Friday service. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, we left Christ in the grave at the end of those, read, uh, end of those readings. That's what this was. We were, uh, Good Friday service was focused on the crucifixion. And, uh, you know, last week we looked at the triumphal entry. Do you remember that? The Hosanna. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on, the, on a donkey's colt. And the, the people finally willing to throw in their, their lot with him, laying down the branches of trees and their clothes created, rolling out the red carpet, as it were, saying, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We believe you now. You're the Messiah. And then, as we know, this, just days later, they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And we, and we talked about how it was... Uh, it was so interesting, and it just touches me every time I read that, because there they are crying out, save, oh, save, save now. And he is literally on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to be crucified just for that, to save them. But I want you to think about this, too. And uh, I don't know if I can, if I can express this in a, in a way that, that's not clumsy, but if, if you're on your way, you, you pick, I guess maybe this, you picture a parade that you have for a unit of soldiers who is deploying. Uh, I've been to a, a deployment ceremony, you know, where there are crowds there and, and there's speeches and you, uh, you, you give them a send-off uh, and you try to make this as meaningful as, and, and as uh, impacting as you can because some of them might not be coming back. And so you are thanking them ahead of time. And it's hard, hard for every one of these to leave their families, knowing they're, they, that they're going to be gone for a while, even if nothing bad happens to them while they're over there. Uh, it's a tough thing to do. But having the outpouring of thanks and the honor as you're, in the midst, as you're on your way to do something hard, that make, it sort of easy. It doesn't make it easy. You, but you see how it makes it easier. All right? So here's Jesus on his way to the cross now to do the greatest service for mankind imaginable. He is going to lay down his life for everybody. And he's not just going to die. He's going to take the sin of mankind in his own self, in his own body, and suffer the shame, the indignity, and the torture of the cross. And the people he's doing it for are lining the streets. But they're not saying, thank you, thank you. Oh, I hate that you have to go through this, but thank you for doing it for us. No, what are they doing? They are mocking him, spitting on him, striking him, pulling his beard out, smashing that crown of thorns down on his head. The very people he is dying for are reviling him. Except for a tiny handful of people that are there at the foot of the cross. Think about that. How mad would it make you if that was your son? Can you just sense God straining? You know, we can't get inside the mind of God. 
There's this great scene. I only saw the movie once. I know some people say they saw it again and again. I couldn't. Uh, but The Passion of the Christ. How many of you saw that? Mel Gibson's Passion. Yeah, there's this scene. It took me a second to realize what I was looking at, but you're looking down. It's a very bird's eye view of Jesus on the cross. And then the, the screen kind of goes blank and then opens up, and then you see water falling down there, and you realize what you've just seen is God blinking and a tear falling. A really, really neat artistic way uh, of, of capturing that moment of God's heart. This was not an easy thing. And we looked uh, also at, uh, and, we, and we read this again, uh, at the, I, I was, again, one of my assigned readings at the Good Friday service where Pilate, and we can look at it in Matthew chapter 27. We'll look at it in Matthew this time. When Pilate, you remember, he was reluctant to uh, have Jesus crucified. They brought him to him, and, and, and you've got to understand what they're saying. You know, they're, they judge him, crucify him for us. And, and, and Pilate's like, He's, he hasn't broken any Roman laws. I find no fault in him. You take him and crucify him. And they're like, well, we don't, we're not. He said, judge him according to your own laws. And what they basically said was, well, we want him to die, but we're not allowed to execute anybody. If there's going to be an execution, it has to be done by Rome, so we need you to do it. And so uh, we get to this part of the discussion in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 22. It says, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Now think about that. <laughs> when they cried out, Hosanna, save us, save now. And then they were mad that he's getting arrested, gets on trial, is, is going to the cross. They're angry even though he's answering their prayer. Now they say, let his blood be on us and our children. Now what do they mean by that? Pilate's saying, I want nothing to do with this. I'm doing this because it's your request and I'm in a position to do it. I'm doing it to keep the peace. I just want you to know I don't find any fault in him. I refuse to be guilty of this man's death. And they're saying, fine, we'll be guilty for it. But I love the way it's phrased there. I'm innocent of this man's blood. Let his blood be on us. And if his blood is not on us, we're doomed They meant it one way, but he's going to answer it in another way. He is going to let his blood be on them, isn't he? And on us and our children. I want you to remember that. I'm going to look at some... We're not going to look at all of them. I'm going to refer to them. But Jesus said some things. In fact, there's a whole book. Uh, there's a series of books called Hard Sayings. Uh, hard Sayings of the Old Testament... Hard, uh, more hard sayings of the Old Testament. There's hard sayings uh, of uh, Paul 
and the hard sayings of the New Testament, and there's one whole book, the hard sayings of Jesus. Jesus did, and, and it's, they're, they're, there's even in the Bible it says, who can hear this? This is a hard saying when Jesus would say something. He said things that were hard for people to hear, and I think sometimes when we read them in the Bible, we're just kind of like, oh, that's just kind of the way they talk back then. Everybody understood Jesus. But that, sometimes he said things that are like, how can you say that? You know, the most obvious example is when he said, you know, unless you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? Who can, wait, we can't, that, and people left him after that. But you know, it was a hard thing for them to hear. Do you remember this story? I know you do. There was a man who was paralyzed, and he had four friends who lowered him down through the roof of this house to get near Jesus so that he could heal him. And there were Pharisees there. And uh, Jesus goes to the paralyzed man. Do you remember what he says? My son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I'm not going to go into this whole sermon. This is a, that's a great sermon, that story there. You know, why did he say that? Why was that important? Clearly, he wasn't there. They didn't lower him down on the stretcher to be forgiven. His friends wanted to see him healed. But he looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. And what was the reaction of the crowd? It wasn't, why is he doing that? Why doesn't he heal him? No, their reaction was, who does he think he is? Who can forgive sins but God? Well, what I would ask, first of all, is who can heal a paralyzed man but God? But Jesus was, was doing something. He's doing a couple things. And just real quick, one thing he was doing was addressing one of the biggest roadblocks to healing. Many times when we go to God for healing, one of the things that's preventing us from receiving is a conviction that we don't deserve it. I've sinned. I've brought this on myself. And so Jesus is dealing with that first. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are not going to keep you from receiving what's next, which is your healing. All right, But the bigger issue, the bigger thing Jesus is doing when he says that is he is laying down a very important principle that when I say something, I have the authority to back it up. It's easy just to say your sins are forgiven. And that's why you know, the, the, the religious leaders who were in the room said, he can't do that. There's one thing he, that nobody can do. It's, it's forgive sins. And who has the authority to do that? He can't say things like that. But Jesus says, hey, what's easier? Just to say your sins are forgiven? Or to say rise up and walk? But in order that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin, then he looks at the man on, this, on his pallet and says, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And he does. Just like that. And he shows him, see, at my word, this man was healed. You better believe that at my word, he was forgiven too. This is important. He said this uh, in John chapter 11. John 11.25. In fact, let's, let me back up here to verse 17 because this is, uh, this is when he's there to raise Lazarus from the dead. John 11.17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to, to comfort them concerning their brother. 
Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day, at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, again, because we are, we've, many of us have grown up believing in Jesus, believing the Bible, we read that. And think, well, that's just the kind of thing, of course, you know, Jesus, we know Jesus is a resurrection and the life, but try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's hearing this for the first time. Now, he's saying this to somebody who believes, who confesses him as the Christ. But what, this, it's exactly this kind of statement that the, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill him for. The religious leaders could see right through. They knew exactly the claims he was making were claims of somebody who was claiming to be God. That's why they wanted him dead, but they knew that wasn't against the Roman law. So they had to accuse him of some other stuff. But what a thing to say. I am the resurrection and the life, and if you believe in me, even if you die, you'll live again. That is a powerful promise. And that is it. That's the hope of the resurrection, isn't it? Isn't it? How many of you... Uh, before you became a true disciple of Christ, how many of you, like me, I put myself in this category, when you got saved, when you came to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, when you were converted, whatever terminology you want to use, whenever you were born again, how many of you was, it, was the driving motive in that moment was that you realized, I'm going to live forever and I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven? Was that the main issue when you got saved? I'm not saying it has, it's the only thing that has kept you in church. Raise your hand if that was it. Yeah, this is it. Death is an enemy. And we don't like the idea of dying. We're not supposed to like the idea of dying. And there are some who say that that's all, that's all religion is anyway. Everybody's afraid of death, and so we invented religion to help us deal with, uh, with this common fear. It's not true. But for the Christian, the sting of death has been taken away. It's been neutralized. Jesus just said, death? Uh -uh. The only thing that's going to happen is your body is going to die, and your, even your body isn't going to stay dead. Your spirit remains alive, even though your body dies, and your body is going to come back to life in the resurrection. And it'll be a better body, body that doesn't get tired, body that doesn't get old, body that doesn't get sick. This is the resurrection Jesus promised. But this is a pretty bold statement. But just believing in Jesus will gain you eternal life. Here's another statement he made. This one's in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, beginning in verse uh, 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, 
And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. I don't know if he made a more, from a purely carnal standpoint, aside from the spiritual insight, I don't know if there's a more ridiculous, amazing, incredible claim that he made. Okay, we're going to Jerusalem now, just so you know. And this is at least the third time he tells them, or it's one of three times that he tells them specifically what's going to happen. He's not speaking in parables. He's not speaking in a mystery. Maybe they, thought, maybe they thought he was. Maybe that's why they don't really seem to, it doesn't really seem to register with him. But so we're going to, to Jerusalem, and they are going to kill me there. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. Uh, one of these days, one of these Easter's, I probably need to go back. It's been years since we talked about it. I know Dad did it a number of times, uh, and many of you have read it. Have you, how many of you have read a medical account of the crucifixion what happens to a person who's being crucified what their bodies go through and that scourging that took place beforehand it's it's oh it's hard it's hard to read but he's telling this is going to happen i'm going to get mocked i'm going to get scourged and i'm going to be crucified oh and by the way three days later i'm going to rise from the dead that is a heck of a claim Now, hang on to everything I've said so far. Georgia, where are you at? Come on up here. This is, a, this is a little bit of a lengthy testimony, but I want you to hear it all, okay? Uh, you got three minutes, so read fast. No, I'm kidding. Did you, do what you got. And you can, you can use this uh, if you need something to lay your paper on. Hi, I'm Georgia. I tend to be a little emotional, so bear with me. If I need to take a moment and catch my breath, I'm going to do that. I just want everyone to know that God has been faithful with healing in my life personally. In life, we all face challenges. Usually, we face many challenges while we live here on this earth. And many of those challenges are in the form of health, medical issues. I have over the last several years faced some pretty big health issues and challenges, and each time I turn to prayer, scripture, and a lot of music. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to accept the idea that we are worthy to receive healing and grace from God. We think that since he knows what we've done in our lives, that we fall far short. And why would he do anything for me? I know that his word tells me he loves me. I am his child, and that is enough. It's enough. I know this because he calls me daughter. Songs, music always get to me more than anything else. There are many, many songs that will bring me to actual tears, and they are not tears of sorrow, just tears, because the music is tugging at my heart. I have over several years made quite a few songs personal to me when I'm singing them, but none have been more personal personal than We Believe by the Newsboys. And I know that there have been several people that have sat near me in church when we were singing that song, and they heard me sing it differently than the words up on the screen. 
It's now completely automatic. I just sing the personal words to the song. This one song has seen me through at least two of my bigger health challenges. I sing it as I believe in God the Father to remind me that I can and I am standing on the promise of good health from Father God. I also have a whole list of scriptures that I read and claim over myself in regards to health and healing, but this song gets me every time. I believe, and he has given me new life. One of my first big challenges was when my annual mammogram showed a mass deep in one of my breasts. I sat there and I listened to the tech tell me that it was recommended that I make an appointment immediately with a surgeon. I remember that she asked me if she should go ahead and, and set that appointment up for me right then. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. I need to process this info. Did I hear that correctly? What, what was she saying? I left that office and went straight to my gyno's office. I called Gary from the parking lot. I was a mess at that point. I walked into that office and my doctor knew that I was not doing so great. She had me sit and wait for Gary, and we talked, and my doctor called a surgeon that she knew and trusted, and I had an appointment for that same afternoon. Then she sat and talked with me, telling me that she knew everything would be fine. She then said to me that she believed I was a woman of strong faith, and now was that time to hold on to that. She was right. What was I doing? I hadn't even prayed about it yet. That was the kick I needed. I did go to the surgeon appointment that afternoon, and he set me up to have a biopsy within a couple of days. I kept praying and thanking God for my health. I remember acknowledging in my prayers that I would trust in God and give my worry to him. I started searching out scripture related to good health and healing, and I kept reading them over and over I went and talked to my dad and let him know what was going on, and as I expected, he wanted to panic, especially since we'd lost my mom to breast cancer. I firmly told him that I absolutely would not listen to any negative thoughts around this issue, and I was standing strong and believing that I was okay and I would be okay. He did not comment at all. Within the hour, I got a call from one of my brothers. He started the conversation with telling me off. How dare I not tell the whole family? Then he started to comment on how mom had died and there was no hope for me. And I cut that off quickly. I told him that I did not share my news with him because I was not willing to listen to his negative thoughts and comments. I was standing strong and did truly believe that I was okay and would be okay. He again told me about mom and I ended the conversation. And I decided I couldn't tell my family when something was wrong because I won't allow those negative thoughts. When I went for the biopsy, I was at peace with the whole situation. I asked that none of my family be there except Gary. And Gary was standing strong in agreement with me completely. When they took my blood pressure, it was the best reading I could remember ever having. The text prepping me even commented that I seemed extremely calm about the whole thing. I told the tech that I was prayed up and ready to go, that either way, I fully believed and knew that I would be okay. I had put my full trust in God, and he did not fail me. 
the results came back that there is a very small mass nearly at the chest wall, so very deep. They said it was a miracle they even saw it. The mass turned out to be benign. Thank you, God. Yes, I still go in every year for the annual mammogram and a follow-up visit with the surgeon, but I'm holding on to belief that I am and will be healthy. I still keep my list of verses to read to keep me in remembrance. I also decided that I would not share information, as I told you, with my family. Outside of Gary and my son. My next big challenge came when a routine blood test showed a very high platelet count. The oncologist believed that there was a strong possibility of bone marrow disease. A bone marrow test was ordered. I kept saying and believing I was still healthy. In spite of the blood test, I chose to believe the report of the Lord. The test was inconclusive. I was given B12 shots for several months and started on a daily B12 pill. The count came down a bit. I was sent to Chicago for a second opinion. No further information was determined. I kept singing and reading. Now I go in every six months for a precautionary follow-up with the oncologist. I do still take that B12 pill. But I believe. I know that I'm in God's hands and he is taking care of me. But I'm doing my part in doing what needs to happen to stay healthy. My next big challenge came in a very different form. Not my own healing, but my son's health. More than ever, I kept reminding myself that I believe One of the hardest things I have ever in my life had to deal with is walking out the last days of Josh's life with him. I started praying out for him to be healed, but God dealt with me in a very loving way. I became aware that Josh was not believing he would be healed and in fact had accepted the mortality of his life. I was actually praying against what Josh was believing and asking God for. I had to adjust my way of thinking. We do not have the right to force our will onto anyone else. We do have a responsibility to pray for others. It is important to know what the other person's believing for, what their expectations are. We need to get in practice of praying properly when we pray, being careful not to pray against someone's will. James 5.16 tells us to pray for one another that we may be healed. The prayers of a righteous man are effective and return much. Yes, I wanted Josh to be healed. But Josh was not on that same page. And in fact, he wanted to let go. Was I being selfish with continued prayers against Josh's will? So I asked God for guidance and direction with that one. I needed his strength to get through it. In a sense, I needed healing in my heart. I believe that when we are in doubt, the best thing to do is to ask for help in the form of direction or guidance. He is faithful with help in this also. Josh asked me point blank one time, Mom, how will you get through this? And immediately I told him that I could and I would with the grace of God. I didn't even have to think about that. The answer was just already there. I started praying for Josh to have peace and to be able to enjoy his last days here on earth as much as possible. 
It was a real learning process for me and that I had to really lean into the Lord for peace myself. I think praying for peace, not only for Josh, but for myself as well, helped me walk through that painful time. Another lesson I learned through that challenge is that it really is okay to ask for help. Few people came to me during that time frame commenting on how they had noticed that the church didn't seem to be helping me. They wanted to know why was there not a sign-up sheet for meals at least. I explained that I had been asked and had declined the help. I was leaning on my own strength at that time. When I finally got to the point of looking at the bigger picture, I thought I knew how much help it could be to have a prepared meal brought in. Wow, did I underestimate that. I'm so very thankful that I am part of such a wonderful and loving church family, and I can never express how much all of the meals, prayers, and kind and encouraging words meant and still mean to me. You guys rock. You helped far more than you could ever know. It is okay to ask for help. God surrounds us with the people we need when we need them. As a parent, I could deal with my own issues, but to watch my child go through everything he went through, that was tough. But again, God was faithful, and he carried us through that journey. I believe I kept that song in my heart, and it's helped to remind me to always, no matter what the challenge, keep God first. Stay in relationship with him because he will get you through it. God does not fail. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and he has given me new life. Let my faith be more than anthems, greater than the songs I sing, because I believe. There are other songs that I personalize, but this one I have adopted as my anthem. God has promised his health and healing in his word. Jesus paid for that healing with the stripes that were laid on his back. His words tell us we are already healed. That means the price has already been paid. The healing is already there. In Exodus 15:26, that's clear back at the beginning of the Old Testament, he tells us already, he is the Lord that heals us. That is his name. It's so easy to pray and to believe for someone else to be healed, but when we're faced with asking for ourselves, we most often fall short of following through. I do my best to avoid negativity around any challenges that come my way, preferring to stand in faith that no matter what happens, I will come through that time with help from my God. Is it always easy? Absolutely not. There are times that I want to just curl up and feel sorry for myself, and that, of course, gets me nowhere. Sometimes I feel like it's just too much work or too hard to keep going. That's the enemy trying to keep me down. I have to rise above that, and I can as long as I keep God first and find my strength in him. I guess for me it came down to asking myself, how committed am I to being a Christian and living for Christ? That means I have to make that commitment to trust and believe every day, then follow through with that commitment. Do I succeed in this every day? Sadly, I don't. Thankfully, that does not mean that I'm a complete failure. 
I am so grateful that God is willing to give me another chance so many times. We can apply this to pretty much everything in our life. Healing, help with our relationships, tithing, overcoming all problems, big or small, living a good and clean lifestyle, boldness to witness and share his love and message with others, taking time to read his word and pray every day. Our actions and behavior speaks as loud as our, our words do. God has promised. Jesus paid the price. We have to believe and hold on to that. If that means that I need to say it out loud, then so be it. If I need to sing it, I do so without hesitation. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I strive to grow and get better at staying in faith at all times. I know that God knows my heart, and he is always there for me. My job is to believe, expect, and accept. Hold on to him through every challenge. That's often the hard part. But we love our children and would do anything for them. Why would we ever think that God would do less for us? Say it loud. Remind yourself. I believe, I believe, I believe. I've learned many lessons through many challenges. Stay close to God. Pray and stay in his word. Do my part, whatever it is. But it is okay to ask for and accept help. Praise God every day for his mercies and blessings. I am healthy, I am happy, and I am whole. In the name of Jesus, and I believe. Thank you, Georgia, for sharing that with us. And I want you to understand, we're a Word of Faith church. And when we say we believe, when we're talking about the importance of belief, the dividing, uh, the, the, the crucial thing is, you can't just believe for or believe whatever you want. You have to believe in a promise. Believe in something that was said. All right? Why is, why is healing at the center of that? Why is that okay? Because Jesus made that very clear. God makes it clear through his whole word uh, that that is part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It's part of what he came to. It's part of the gospel. It's also important not just to believe, but to say what you believe. No, just believe it in here or even just in here. Believe it with your mouth. Speak it with your mouth, what, what you believe, because there's power in the words. Remember, Jesus, from his heart, could have forgiven the man, but he said, your sins are forgiven. Speaking these things out brings them into manifestation, right? I'm going somewhere with this, and we really are wrapping this up. Remember when, when, when uh, Jesus said, I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise in three days. There is a, I'm just going to point this out briefly, there's a dangerous trend. I don't know if you're aware of it, don't know if you pay attention to it, I've referred to it recently. Uh, there's a trend among churches, and I'm talking about churches that are attended by people who, as far as I know, really are believers, pastored by people who are believers. Uh, but it's a trend where the importance of the Word of God, respect for the Word of God as the Word of God, is really being diminished. Where the, there's a lot of reference to 
following the teachings of Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus. And this is important because I, you know, we can put all the emphasis on conversion and none on discipleship when clearly Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. We are to be learning of his way and walking in his way. I think, though, now there's a trend that is so discipleship-focused that it completely ignores the need for conversion at all. What they, are diminish- what they are focusing on is the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and the life of Jesus, but not even talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no new birth for us. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm watching this. I'm kind of trying to, I'm tracking, seeing where, how far this thing goes and how widespread it is. Uh, but really, it's all, it really is a troubling thing to see how little emphasis is being put on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And because they're like, well, you don't need to, don't need to believe that to benefit from his good life and his good teaching. But why would you follow the teachings of a man who made a claim like this? I'm going to die and rise again in three days. Well, we don't really put any emphasis because that maybe didn't happen. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of historical evidence that he really did rise from the dead. And, of course, there is. And any of you have heard it's one of the strongest, uh, uh, most well-supported historical events in history. But if people don't believe that, why do they still want to follow Jesus at all? And some claim to you know, believe in the resurrection, but they want to follow Jesus as a good teacher. C.S. Lewis uh, put it most famously, you know, he, was, uh, he, he can't be a good man and a good teacher if he made such ridiculous claims that weren't true. He'd either be crazy uh, or just a flat-out liar, or he's exactly who he said he was, the Lord. So, but I want you to see this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes this, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's the issue. It's not, can I learn to love my neighbor like Jesus told me to? Is that important? Absolutely. But it's, if we, if we are skipping over the resurrection We'll never be able to love like that, for one thing, because we can't be regenerated. But it's ultimately a waste of time. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Jesus isn't risen. If he's not risen, guess what? You're still in your sins, and that's the problem. That's why he had to die and rise from the dead in the first place, because of your sin, because of my sin. If any man believes in me, Even though he dies, he will live. Praise and worship team, come up here. Do you really believe? Because Jesus said if you believe, you'll live. You'll not die. 
Paul said, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from uh, damnation. Saved from hell. And these are extraordinary claims. What, just by believing? He's saying this to a community that believes strongly in works, following the law. And Jesus is saying, if you believe, any man believes in I am the resurrection. And if you believe, you'll experience that resurrection. Now, here's another one of the crazy sayings of Jesus. In Mark eleven twenty three. and this is what I was going back to. I was referring to uh, Pastor Hagen. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, I don't know if I've ever heard him better than I heard him the nights he was with us. And Monday night, he shared from his heart, he shared the story. I think he went back to the time he was three years old, sharing about growing up in Brother Hagen's house and the traveling and the believing they had to do. And I loved it because it was example after example of, of speaking these things out, having to apply the lessons of the word of faith to believe, things, uh, believe for things like food on the table. But as many of you know, and as he referred to uh, when he was teaching, uh, the, the bedrock of Brother Hagin's ministry was Mark eleven twenty three and 24. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, what did Jesus really mean by that? Because that's a pretty clear statement. But it's extraordinary. Tell me, I can say to a mountain, and okay, and we can see this. It's like, what's, what's more likely? What's easier to say? Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, or your sins are forgiven you, or rise up and walk, or I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. Here's the thing. He really did rise from the dead. And you can say, well, what would be more likely? Somebody predicting their own death and resurrection in a specific amount of time or somebody actually speaking to a mountain and having it be removed. Are they both equally unlikely? Because I submit to you that it's easier to believe that because you could say, well, you could say to that mountain, and since I believe in God, maybe what's going to happen is he's going to cause an earthquake. He's going to cause something that's going to cause a shift. And that mountain can literally crumble and, and dissolve and roll into the sea. So I could see that happening. That's actually easier to believe than somebody saying, I'm going to die. And in three days later, uh, three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. But he kept that promise. And I submit to you that since... He said, I will rise from the dead, and he did. Then when he said, you can speak to that mountain, and it'll be removed, you can. You can. And this was the thing I kept hearing, the thing that really convicted me, and I'm a rhema guy. It was just this reminder that there's some things you don't go to God asking for. He doesn't say, pray to God for the mountain to be removed. He said, say to the mountain doesn't say you'll, in this, in this scripture, he's not saying you'll have whatever you ask for. He says you'll have whatever you say. So what are you saying? Be encouraged by this. And we can be encouraged because this whole message is based on the authority of the power of the resurrection. Stand up with me. We're going to have communion uh, after this, but I wanted to do the altar call first in case there's somebody in here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Uh, I want you to make him your Lord and your Savior today. I want you to stand with people like Georgia uh, and, and be able to say, I believe. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. We'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org.